Um, and I have the wonderful joy this morning of inviting another new preacher. I'm just delighted at how God is raising up men and women. Last week was Sharon's first time in the pulpit, which was just absolutely stunning. You guys did so beautifully preaching on, on home in our hearts. God is up. Yo, clap for them. Go on. Go on. That's great. And the presence of God is, is home. It was beautiful. This morning, it's Warren. And I want to come up. I want to pray for you. Um, this is an amazing gift, the couple that have joined us. And God's just been so, I'm so grateful that he's joined little asterisks and oblix <laughs> to us over here. But, uh, <laughs> Every tight. One of our main prayers in this congregation is for fathers and mothers. And so God is just sending, looking at this year, just fathers and mothers into our midst. And we're so grateful. So let me pray for you and share God's word with us. Father, I thank you for Warren. I thank you for a man who has stood not for a couple of years, but for a long, long haul through many difficult life circumstances, ups and downs, has stood faithful. An, an obedient plodder, Lord, if I could use that in the most positive sense. Just a man who's been servant-hearted and obedient to you through every season of life. Praise you for him. Just fill him with peace right now as he preaches your word. Thank you that your word is active, that it cuts into our hearts. It gets behind our defenses. It works us. It, it, it stretches us and it demands something of us, Lord. And as Warren shares part testimony, part preach this morning, I pray that you'd stir our hearts too. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. 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 Thanks. Is this? I don't know if it's right. I'm echoing. Well, good morning, One Hope, and uh, visitors, and also those of you that are online. It's really a privilege to be here, to share God's Word with you, and I really trust that um, the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us this morning as I share. So we've been on a journey for the past four weeks um, to look up. God has been wanting us to look up, and I mean, if we just think about it, living in this place... If you look up, what do you see? Beautiful mountains, the sky. We are living in the best city, in the best province, in the best country, in the best continent, in the planet. Can you believe it? So we've, we've been on this journey, and so what we've heard from Paul is uh, that God is our shield. And we learned that from Psalm 3 with David's life, that he is also our promise maker and a promise keeper. And then after that, a promise maker and a promise keeper. If any of you have broken a promise to yourself, to God, or to anybody else, put your hand up. Wow. Well, we serve a God unlike you. (laughs) So then after that, Bates reminded us about expressing gratitude, showing God that you are grateful and thankful. And so we heard from the story of the lepers, the ten lepers that were healed, nine did not express gratitude. One came back and said, thank you. Are you and I one of the nine, or are we the one? And then last week, Stefan and Sharon shared with us a place of refuge, a place of growth, and a place of rest, and uh, that God is our dwelling place. And you'll remember Sharon's testimony of being in that hospital bed in Brazil without any family, and yet she felt the presence of God. God was her dwelling place, and that sustained her. 
This reminds me, last Saturday I was reading in my lounge, and our lounge is quite darkish, and uh, early in the morning, and the cloud came past and covered the light of the sun's rays, and suddenly I couldn't read the fine print of my Bible. Within seconds, that cloud moved on, and suddenly the light outside shone and lit up the lounge so that I could read again. And that reminds me of Psalm 105. The word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. If you feel that you're in the darkness, the word of God is going to light your life. I can promise you this much. So this week, I want to ask, do you know him? Do you really know him? Shakespeare said, what's in a name that which we call a rose by any other name which smell as sweet? Essentially, what he was saying is that it doesn't really matter what someone or something is called. The material essence of a thing matters more than its name. But the Bible teaches us otherwise. You think about uh, what God did with Abram. He changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Sarah, Sarah, Jacob to Israel, Saul to Paul. And Jesus said, ask Peter in Luke 9. But what about you? What do you who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. We read in Exodus 3, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? And what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What do you say, One Hope? Is the meaning of your name important? In fact, Rela and I were discussing the meaning of names a few weeks ago and how some parents even name their child with an adverse name. And very sadly, they live up to that. That's very sad. My name, Warren, means protector of friend, loyal. No, not rabbit hole or rabbit home or <laughs> burrows. That's the noun. What does your name mean? Take 30 seconds. Turn to the person next to you and ask them what does their name mean. Go for it. 30 seconds. Okay, so we've found out quite a few good names here. In fact, uh, Nathan means child of God. Amazing. And I know that I heard earlier on that, it, that your name means the will of God. Is that right? It's amazing. But we'll look into more names later on. Thank you, God, that we get to call you Abba Father, Mighty Savior, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. May your Spirit minister to us through your word as we look up to you, Jesus. Amen. I'm quite amazed that Paul would read those scriptures from Isaiah because I just want to set a backdrop for you. My preach is not on Isaiah, but I'm going to read for you Isaiah 40, 12 to 28. It's a bit of a chunk. Um, skipping some verses. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span of the hand and calculated the dust of the earth with a measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or has taught him as counselor? With whom did he consult and who enlightened him? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge, and informed him of the way of understanding. 
In fact, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust in the scales. To 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or with what likeness will you compare him? As for a cast image, an idol, a metal worker cast it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and a silversmith casts its silver chains. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth the omnipotence of God and the stupidity of bowing to idols? To whom then will you compare me, that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these heavenly bodies, the one who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become tired or grow weary. But those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in him, will gain new strength and renew their power. They will lift up their wings and rise up close to God like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow tired. In fact, not long ago, a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, I was walking up our garden path and we had this huge 30-meter palm tree. And as I walked up the path, I, something caught my eye and it was this gray-breasted hawk, falcon, I'm not sure what it was, with a yellow beak. Beautiful. Uh, quite, a, quite a monster of a, of a falcon. And as I drew closer, it just dropped out of the branch and within seconds he was away from me and I just thought of this scripture and I thought you know how easy it would be if we would just put our hope and our trust in God we will soar like eagles we will not grow tired and weary but it takes a lot of time so do you detect any sarcasm in Isaiah 40 any sarcasm from God there Asking us to put forward any other god or an idol. Do you know him? The creator of the universe is inviting us to look up. What an appropriate series that we would be looking up to God. He is the omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, all-present, omnipotent, all-powerful God. Do you know him? In this morning's message, I want to take my small personal testimony without too much detail, my insignificant almost 59 years on this planet, and compare it to my eternal God who holds the oceans in the hollow of his hand. Can you imagine that? God holds the oceans in the hollow of his hand. That's the God I serve. I have a personal mission, which is actually my work in progress testimony, and that is, I've tried to endeavor and live right and not allow the enemy to get a foothold in my life again. He almost succeeded in reducing me to a heap of insecurity, but God. And that is to persevere by faith and become content and at peace with joy in my heart by the grace of God. Then I'll be able to show people hope, thanks be to God. And so, therefore, central to everything that I've learned, life struggles, my failures, is the central theme of the Bible. 
which is Psalm 118, verse 8. If you think about it, it is in the middle of the Bible almost. There is, it's in between the shortest chapter of the Bible, Psalm 117, the longest chapter, Psalm 119. There's 594 chapters before, 594 after. Add that together, you get 1188. Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord, to trust in Adonai, than it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Do you get my God's point? Say amen if you get it. Okay, sermon over. Great. Boy, did I learn this lesson the hard way. I'm one of those guys. I like to learn the hard way. So growing up without a dad meant that I was always looking for a father figure, somebody that I could reach out in ways that showed my need for security, for protection. And when I look back over my life afterwards, in my latter years, I see that my Heavenly Father did provide all those fatherly figures for me, from my grandfather, whom I lived with, um, uncles, um, I even remember a guy that I used to call Old Man River. He was a Navy guy that used to be on the train on Simonstown when I got on. I was eight years old. My sister's six and five. And uh, there was this guy. And I just knew I felt secure with him. Then grade six and seven, I had a, a brother, Patrick, that, that showed me the love of Jesus. He just accepted me for who I was. And I, and I remember feeling the love of God, but I still didn't really have a good relationship with God at the time. Um, I even remember Mr. Davids, who was my technical um, training officer when I did my trade. And uh, one of the most awkward moments in my life was when I was hugged by um, our pastor, Gerald Hawes. I felt awkward. I want to do... (laughs) But I do remember the security of that hug. And these are fatherly figures that God has put across my path that I didn't know at the time, but in the years gone by, I realized that he was there for me. And so I learned much later that it is so much better to trust God and not man. But I only learned that later on. I eventually made the mistake of trusting man and not God. God, my Jehovah Jireh, a name of God that, we, that I know very well today. And so one of those areas that I trusted man was in financial provision, financial needs, my financial ones. And uh, I just want to read from Genesis 22. When Isaac asked Abraham where the lamb was for the sacrifice, Abraham replied that the Lord will provide. And so he did in the form of a ram. And Abraham named that place on Mount Moriah, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. God will always make a way. He's our provider. And he'll never leave us. And he'll never forsake us. So instead of trusting in God, I decided to do the other way around. And uh, I tried man first to help me in my financial needs and my financial wants. And of course, this was not intentionally being disobedient towards God. It was just my ignorance of his intention toward me. To provide for me. Anyway, an unwise and untimely investment led to much turmoil over the past 13 years, and my dear family have uh, 
had to suffer some of the consequences, and so started the journey of getting to know my Abba Father for who he really is. And he still is. He always is. So after coming back to Cape Town in 1998, I started two small businesses, which I've since uh, shut, and then made the risky investment and basically bankrupted myself. I was advised a few times by well-meaning people to sequestrate myself and, um, so that I could be relieved of my obligation towards my creditors. But I decided not to. I felt God nudged me to not worry and rather persevering on in my debt. But actually, he was nudging me rather to trust him. So I had an accumulative debt with six institutions, of which I've paid off, in fact, in November, 30th of November, paid off the fourth institution. <laughs> so glory to be to God, thank you. Uh, two more to go, and, uh, but this has been a very, very challenging time. It's been challenging to try and provide for my family, family of five, but God. Have you ever experienced a child come and grab onto your leg as if you were the parent and he's holding on and suddenly he looks up and he sees, but it's not his dad or it's not his, and that look of despair, ah, you're not who you're supposed to be. Well, that's how I felt quite often. I was absolute many times in despair, broken and utterly hopeless at the point of sobbing. And one of those moments of sobbing, and you would never believe it, but I mean, I'm an ex-fitter turner on the gold mines of Cartonville, and I've got leather skin. Look at me. Do you look like, does it look like I can cry? <laughs> well, God had me face down in the lounge, sobbing my heart out. It was a time that I, I was just, Lord, I just want to provide for my family. I don't, this was just getting really, really tough. And I just felt God touch me and say, Warren, I love you. And I love your family. And I am there for you. And that day, that day was a, a, a breaking point for me. I realized, you are my dad. you my dad. <laughs> he is El Elyon, God Most High, who sits above the circle of the earth. Can you imagine that Isaiah would talk about the circle of the earth and there wasn't even telescopes in those days? How does God talk? He talks through his word. He talks to people. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now you might just think, is it just cattle he owns? No. He owns Everything. Everything. I don't have to worry about my provision. Now, it's always been a thing for me that at my age I don't own a house, don't even own a car, in fact. <laughs> but God's provided, so we are good. I don't have to worry about these things. And it's now that I know, and I know that I know. I've always believed that God will never let me go to heaven with debt, so I'm looking forward to praying that off. That will be a party. And that my provider... Jehovah Jireh will provide for my family. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't advocate that we must just sit back and relax. 
I believe that we as Christians need to be the hardest workers in a company or wherever you might be. You need to be the better students. You need to be the best steward of what God has given you. Steward of skill, uh, talents, money. Yes, God wants us to be good stewards with our money because it's not your money. Yeah, but I studied for it and I worked for it. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, that you are well qualified. Thanks be to God. Remember the parable of the talents from Matthew 25 where he gave one five, other three, another one, and the faithfulness of the guy with the five talents and the unfaithfulness of the one with the one. So be a good steward of what God has given you. And God is also El Roy, E-L-R-O-I. He's the God that sees. We read from Hebrews four, thirteen: nothing in all creation is hidden from God's side. Nothing. That thought that you might have, oh, when the preacher going to finish? God sees that. <laughs> Nothing is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom you will give an account. God sees everything. And so I also learned that God sees my faults. He sees my mistakes. He sees my unwise decision. He saw my irresponsible investing. But he doesn't count it against me. I thought he did, but he doesn't. Man does. Human beings do. Banks do. Sorry if you're a banker. but It was always very humbling to try and convince my creditors that I really wanted to honor my debt. They just wouldn't believe me. I had to be strong and I had to be secure in who I am in God. And not allow their prejudice towards me to affect my identity in God. I'm a son of the living God. God sees me as his adopted son and a co-heir with him. Do you see yourself as a daughter, as a son? Because you are. God sees you as a son and as a daughter. And so I started to learn through worldly loss that Jehovah Jireh would provide, and I need not worry. We read from Matthew six twenty-five. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and clothes, and the body more than clothes? How opulent as our will become. Yet at the same time, with the opulence that some have, Some people cannot even eat a meal in a day. It blows my mind. How dare I worry? In fact, I worry when I worry. Sounds like Paul in Romans. It says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Yeah, what a tofak. Charles Spurgeon says, Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. Just doesn't make an, it doesn't make any sense to worry. Philippians 4. So many people know the scripture and quote it. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and petitioning, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, Yahweh Shalom, 
which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God is telling us to be thankful, to be thankful when we are thinking that we should be anxious. Being thankful every day has become a pattern of my life. I love to wake up in the morning and just look outside. We're very fortunate. We have many, many trees and many flowers and plants. Uh, My landlord has done an amazing job over the last 40 years that he's lived there. And we are just great. I am just grateful for God's amazing creation. We need to just look up. How can we deny God? How can we deny Elohim? It's an amazing to be eventually at the place where I have peace with God. I have peace. I know so many people that have got a little bit of debt and they are freaked out. I don't understand it. I do now. I'm sure we all battle sometimes to maintain our joy amid trials. And James reminds us, consider it pure joy. (laughs) It's not very easy when you get told to consider it pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, whenever you face trials of many kinds, not if you will face trials of many kinds, whenever you will face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mature. Oh dear. Can you imagine me being mature? (laughs) Persevere, my sweetheart. Persevere. Imagine not lacking anything. Imagine saying to yourself, I do not need anything anything. Well, you can. Just persevere. Persevere in your faith. Know who you are being faithful to. David says in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from Adonai, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Man cannot give me what I need. Only Adonai can give me what I need. Throughout Scripture, starting with creation, Elohim, God, is revealing Himself to us. And we learn in Romans that everything that was written in the past, everything that's written in this book, is to teach us through endurance and the encouragement of Scripture that we might have hope. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And this great I Am, he calls us his sons and his daughters to spend eternity with him. Eternity. Not a mere 59 years, hopefully more. (laughs) Do you know him? Charles, if you would be so kind as to play um, a little clip. So before we do communion and before we end in prayer, I want us to just listen to Dr. S.M. Lockridge. It's a three-minute clip. The Bible says, my king. My king. Just take a listen. 
The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him for you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's the God I serve. This is your God. And he loves you. He loves each one of us. He's proved that already. He doesn't need to do it anymore. He does it. He's already done it. So right now we're going to take two minutes to um, do communion. I would actually like you to take the communion on your own and just spend time with God. And thank him for the fact that he gave his body for you, that he shed his blood for you. There isn't a sin 
that you've ever committed or ever will commit that is not covered by the blood of Jesus. And this is why we do communion. This is not a religious act. This is a reminder of the love of God for us. So why don't you go ahead. There's a table over there, and there's one over there, and at the back. So each person just take your communion by yourself.